Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the warm welcome that you offered to us, both inside and outside the building, although I think it's cooler inside than it is outside, but the welcome inside is uh, warm in the right sense of the word. Uh, yesterday, um, some of you uh, may have been aware that there was a memorial service at Avenue 54 for uh, our sister uh, Dorothy Elliott Taylor, uh, and uh, as the speaker was getting up to speak, um, I didn't know this because I didn't see the uh, thermometer, but uh, apparently with the air conditioning on, the room uh, the thermostat said 83. Uh, that's what uh, my wife reported uh, to me uh, after the fact. But uh, it's good to be uh, with you after uh, about uh, a year's time. I'm glad that you're able to uh, see uh, Janice, and Janice does report uh, to me um, what uh, is uh, happening in, in terms of uh, Bible study and so on, so I'm going to have a little bit uh, to say about that in just a moment. But I brought a show and tell. Uh, I realize this is not grade school, but uh, I think it's always useful uh, to have a show and tell. And uh, this is a favorite uh, book of mine for uh, several reasons. If you look at the book, uh, you may not be able to see it from a distance, but it says, Greek-English lexicon. Now, this is actually, and I'll just hold it up. You see this? This is um, a, it's a lexicon is a dictionary. Uh, it's for ancient Greek, and specifically all of the ancient Greek language from about 800 BC to about uh, what we would say maybe 880. Um, now, With a, a dictionary this size, you say, well, that's a pretty good-sized dictionary. Actually, this is one of three different editions of the uh, lexicon. Uh, this is actually the small version, right? So this, now, the, the name of the editors, or I was actually mispronouncing it for a long time. I would say always Liddell and Scott. Uh, but actually, it's Little and Scott. And you say, well, this is the small one, and there are three sizes. There's the intermediate size, and then there's the large size. Uh, so eventually, I came to pronounce the name of one of the editors correctly, and it's Little and Scott. So this, of course, as I discovered late on in my life, but to my amusement, this is the Little little. And then, of course, the intermediate would be the middle little, and the large one, of course, is the big little. But you say, well, why are you showing us this? Uh, after all, I don't study uh, ancient Greek literature. Well, actually, there's a point to this. You see, for the English language, for those studying ancient Greek literature, this is the dictionary, the dictionary that you go to if you are going to be uh, translating 
from ancient Greek into English. Uh, it has a, uh, a history behind that, uh, the publication, uh, and we're not going to uh, bother with that. Uh, but there are things in the big little that aren't in the little little. Because obviously you've got more space, 2,000 pages, very tiny print, two columns on each page, um, and uh, you can uh, you get a lot of information in there. That's the authority for the ancient Greek language, studying ancient Greek literature and trying to understand uh, what they were saying in their literature and translating it into English. Now, you wouldn't go to that authority for translating something from Latin into English. You'd go to the appropriate authority. You might be uh, guessing as to where I'm heading with this. This morning and this evening, I would like to address us on the subject from Scripture of the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. Unlike, unlike languages where you have to have a dictionary authority for one language and then you go to a different language, so you go from Greek to Latin, well, you have to have a different authority for the Latin language. And then if you were studying Hebrew, you'd have to uh, have a different dictionary authority for that. When it comes to the... Uh, things that are most important in life, the things that God has said, the things that have to do with life and godliness, as the Apostle Peter says in his second letter, there is only one authority. It's the Scripture, the Word of God, as we typically refer to it, the Bible both the Old and the New Testaments. And when you live in a time, as we do, when there is a tendency for uh, society at large to go in directions that are directly contrary to what God has said in the Scriptures, and you find that at times, believers are also pulled into that way of thinking that the world is uh, taking. It becomes so much more important to return to the authority. What, where is our authority? What does our authority say with regard to what we need to know for these times. Now, I have to tell you that if we can just pull out our lexicon again for a moment, we don't 
start using a Greek dictionary just because it's on the shelf. Now, the scriptures, of course, you would start using just because they're there, because this is what God has said. But as so often in our day-to-day lives, you go to the dictionary, the authority, when you need it. Now, the scriptures, we need that authority all the time. But I have to tell you that when we are aware of what is going on in our society and what is happening uh, in, in challenging situations in, uh, in uh, the fellowship of believers, we have situations that demand that we look to that authority. I had to learn to use a dictionary, learn how the Greek alphabet uh, works and so on. And for believers, when we look at the scriptures, yes, we can go directly to the scriptures, but also we need to learn from example. First, as believers, we need to feel our own need. Let's think about this. What is our need as believers today? There may be many needs, but in thinking about our uh, situation in society and situation that we frequently encounter in uh, the church. Let me read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This tells of the need that we have. And by the way, I'm aware that you are studying through 2 Timothy on Wednesday nights. And you can take uh, a couple of different approaches to the message this morning. One is that uh, you can say, well, um, he covered everything in his messages. We don't need to cover that part anymore. Or you can say, well, I don't think he did a very good job. And uh, let's go and make sure that we understand properly uh, what's there. But we trust that the Lord will speak to us all through uh, the scriptures this morning. But realize this, I'm actually reading from the New American Standard, Um, but realize this, Paul says to uh, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. 
but denying the power thereof, uh, as the uh, King James says. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, just as Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jannes' and Jambres' folly was also. That's quite a passage. It tells us that we live in a hostile world. And of course, in that sense, the world has not changed since Paul's day. We may think that it has gotten worse, and perhaps it has, but if things have gotten worse, they are going back to what is normal as far as the scripture tells us. We live in a world that is uh, governed and guided by the enemy of our souls, by Satan. And so it should not be, surprise us when we see these sorts of descriptions. But in the middle of that description, you notice that there was a form of godliness mentioned, holding to a form of godliness, verse 5, but denying its power. That tells us that there is going to be spirituality and those perhaps even who profess to be believers who deny by their actions and by their attitudes and by their words perhaps what they claim to be true. This is the need both in the world around us and to the degree that it infiltrates the thinking of uh, people that we meet who are actually believers or maybe at least professing believers in the local church. So how do we respond? We go to our authority, right? Well, okay, we go to our authority, the scriptures. And actually, Paul has very conveniently sketched out for us uh, key points about our authority coming up in verses 16 and 17. We will get to those in more detail this evening. But let's begin reading, uh, continue reading at verse 10. Now, you followed, he says to Timothy, you followed my teaching my conduct, my purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. It's going that far. First of all, we note Paul's example. This is where Paul starts. Yes, we're going to the authority, but remember 
I didn't go to the Greek dictionary because I simply wanted something to do to pass the time. I went because I had a need, because I was working in a Greek text I wanted to translate and get the meaning correct. We go to our authority once again in the scriptures because there is a need. But that need, we first of all have the example to follow of the ones who have preceded us, who have lived their lives and dealt with the kinds of needs that we are encountering. And uh, let's um, read a little bit further than verse 11, verse 12. Uh, Paul continues and says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, but evil men and impostors, I think uh, the King James says seducers, uh, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So we start with Paul's example because when we receive the truth of Scripture, typically we don't get it, we don't receive it in a vacuum. It comes to us so often through the life and testimony of people who are in some way sharing that word with us. Now, as believers, what is our responsibility? Well, if we put ourselves in Timothy's place, and you say, well, wait a minute, uh, Timothy was specially called to do special uh, ministry uh, with the Apostle Paul. Yes, we'll get to that. But uh, I would remind you that Paul says here in verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly. So this isn't just for Timothy, even though it may be directed directly to Timothy in this letter. It's also for those of us who are desiring to live in a godly way. And I hope that would include all of us here this morning. But the first thing that Timothy needs to do, according to the Apostle Paul, really, is something he's already done, and that is be aware. Be aware of what? Well, you have it spelled out for us in, uh, in verse 10. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Well, that's quite a list. Timothy had been recruited by Paul based on his testimony. We have that the account in Acts chapter 16, the first few verses. We're not going to turn there. But Timothy had been recruited by the Apostle Paul to accompany the Apostle on his missionary journeys. And 
Timothy paid attention. He might not have been the leader of the missionary team that went from city to city proclaiming the gospel, but he was paying attention to, first of all, Paul's teaching. You say, well, uh, Paul doesn't spell out here what his teaching was. Well, he didn't have to because Timothy had been paying attention, and so all of Paul's ministry up to this point in which Timothy had actually accompanied the apostle would have been known and witnessed to uh, by uh, Timothy. And if you want an example, turn to 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Others of the epistles, uh, they may not be Uh, specifically everything that Paul said in every occasion that he preached while Timothy was with him, but they give an understanding of Paul's teaching, his doctrine. That's what Paul starts with. Because if you have a really responsible and good life to show in testimony, but you don't have the content of the teaching, you don't have anything. Now, to have the content without the life, that is equally a problem. But Timothy had been aware of Paul's teaching, his doctrine, what he had proclaimed about the Lord Jesus as the Messiah that fulfilled all of the Old Testament uh, uh, prophecies uh, of his coming, of his death, that he has been uh, uh, raised again from the dead and uh, now is um, waiting until his enemies be made his footstool uh, and will be returning for the church and the responsibilities that we have as believers uh, to live in union with Christ as part of his body of which he is the head and all of the responsibilities that go with that, all that would be part of the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. But you notice that's just the first in a series. He says his conduct, his behavior. You see, if you have the the content, but you don't have the conduct, that's a problem. Conduct, our behavior, uh, that little pithy saying that used to be said, uh, I can't, uh, you're, uh, um, I'm not going to get it right. This is what happens when I'm off the cuff. Um, you're behaving so badly I can't hear what you're saying, or something to that effect. It's true. The the behavior underlines or undercuts the credibility of the message. If we have correct doctrine and we undercut that by a behavior that is contrary to what we say we believe, and the scriptures proclaim, where are we? 
we have just told people by our behavior that I really don't believe what I'm proclaiming to you. That's a serious problem. It was a problem in James's day, and uh, he points out uh, the risk of being a teacher because our actions as teachers need to conform to what we teach. Do not be many teachers because we know that they will receive greater judgment. There is greater accountability for us who teach. And in one sense or another, all of us as believers are teaching somebody something by our behavior. So we may not be up here proclaiming from the pulpit, but do not think that as a believer that absolves me of the responsibility to live what I say I believe from the scriptures. But he continues. Notice that he also has here purpose, the goal of what, uh, what Paul is doing. You often hear the expression, well, what's in it for me? As believers, I think that ought to come across our lips very rarely, if ever. What's in it for me? No, as believers, what's in it for Christ? What's in it for God? That ought to be our priority. And certainly, Paul lived that out, the truth of that, what's in it for God. He didn't count his life to be uh, worth anything if he would be able to spend it proclaiming the gospel to others and, uh, and uh, uh, helping the saints to go on for uh, the Lord, um, it would be all worthwhile. It wasn't what was in it for Paul. You go through uh, 2 Corinthians and the account that he gives there, he had a lot of opposition, a lot of difficulty, a lot of uh, challenges, to say it nicely, in his ministry. And yet, he says, as he will in the next, uh, in the next chapter, uh, chapter uh, four, he says, I'm ready to pour out my life as a drink offering. Uh, to, to God. Um, I'm willing to wait and receive my reward from him. But also, uh, you see here um, faith, patience, love, perseverance. It's going that far character and attitudes. Paul will always walk by faith. Now, the record that we have of him uh, 
we might argue that, well, certainly Paul wasn't perfect. Of course he wasn't uh, in this side of heaven. Uh, but um, the example that we have in his life is very much one of walking by faith, not by sight. And I think that's what uh, the word faith here suggests, uh, not the, the, the faith that we believe, the, uh, the, um, the body of uh, doctrines that we hold to, but his faithfulness in living in a way that trusted in his Savior, not in what uh, he had in this life. Uh, we also have <laughs> patience. Uh, the word is really that classic English expression, long-suffering. You don't have to be involved in, uh, as a, a believer in uh, trying to help other believers very long before you find out that you have to exercise a lot of patience. Um, we may be more aware of it at certain points in our life than others, but certainly if those of you who are parents of children uh, know what it means to have to exercise long-suffering patience with children. Um, and those of us who don't have children, perhaps aren't married, um, you can get some idea of how much you tried your parents' patience when you were a child. That's uh, a realization that as I've gotten older, I say, well, I, I look back now and I say, how did my parents ever put up with me? Because they had long-suffering patience. But Paul was not simply uh, doctrine and on to the next, uh, the next meeting, but you, say, uh, you see his emphasis here on love. Um, speaking the truth in love, he says uh, in Ephesians 4, and uh, that is really characteristic of Paul's life. You look at, uh, at what the missionaries had to put up with when they were in, in uh, Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And Paul says, um, you know, uh, writing to the Thessalonians, you know what sort of people we were, how we shared with you our very own souls. That was love that he was demonstrating, the patience, but also you self-sacrificing um, uh, love uh, for uh, believers, uh, and for those that he preached the gospel to uh, when they opposed. Uh, perseverance uh, could be translated uh, endurance. We are in it for the long haul. Uh, if you're young here and you're starting out uh, life as a, a believer it's not a sprint it's a marathon um, 
that doesn't mean you don't go into it with full energy, but it does mean that you have to prepare yourself for the times when you have to draw on extra reserves in the future. That means good habits, time with the Lord daily, in his word, in prayer, uh, time with the saints, in the meetings of the saints, um, effort in studying the word, discipline in doing that, self-discipline in getting up early enough to do that. All of these things are part of perseverance, enduring. But even with all that, you notice he says, verse 11, persecutions and sufferings. Oh dear, hardships, hardships that come with bold and sometimes violent opposition. We live in a country where that hasn't been the case for uh, very much at all over our, the lifetime of our experience. Uh, even for generations past, not very much uh, violent opposition to Christianity. Many parts of the world that is very much not the case. And Paul gives specific examples, specific occasions. We could look to Acts chapter 13, the end of the chapter, or Acts chapter 14, uh, and see the specific occasions when uh, he, uh, the opposition arose. Uh, in one case, he was chased out of, they, they heard about opposition, and Paul and the other missionaries, including Timothy, um, Oh, no, Timothy comes later, sorry. Um, Barnabas uh, had to leave town quickly. Um, in another case, uh, they uh, escaped just before the crowd was uh, going to do them violence. In a third case, they actually did violence to Paul and thought that they had killed him, uh, but they hadn't. Um, and... Um, and he actually got up and uh, walked away. Um, but you notice what he says. He says, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Rescuing uh, by the Lord is something that the Lord specializes in. And he frequently, I believe, rescues the believer from many different situations that uh, could uh, be cause for harm. But specifically, when we are being persecuted and treated violently or in, there's opposition because of his name's sake, he will rescue us. Sometimes, occasionally, that will mean not up to the point of death, but through death. 
and the rescue comes when we are in the presence of the Lord. Difficulties, yes. Hardships, yes. Persecution, yes. But Paul says, look at what the Lord has done. We got a little testimony to that effect this morning from our brother. Uh, you get opposition when you share the gospel. But look at what the Lord has done. It's reason to be encouraged. There's a reality, reality check here, though. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I have to say that sometimes we may not feel persecution in part because we're not living godly in Christ Jesus. But if we are and we're desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus... Let us be aware that persecution is to be expected. That's not something weird that happens out of the ordinary. It is normal if we stand for Christ in a hostile environment. And then verse 13 a warning. Evil men and imposters will proceed to, to the worse, very literally, deceiving and being deceived. Here's why we need to go to our authority. Actually, all of these reasons are why. But when evil rises and people come along and say they're one thing and clearly are not and you don't have to look very far for people who claim to be Christians, sometimes they show up on your doorstep, claim to be Christians and are not, that is only getting worse. In our lifetime, in our experience, that's what we should expect. That's the warning. Deceiving and being deceived. We often will look at other people and we say, how can they believe such a thing? If they only, if they only paid attention to what the Bible said. Well, exactly. But those who are imposters are also seeking to gain a following for themselves. They're not in this for the goals that uh, Paul has. They may claim to be doing this for God. But whether it's another religion, like Islam or Buddhism or uh, Hinduism, uh, or it's a... Uh, a false version of Christianity, and there are many. It is going to get worse. 
That should come as no surprise. And we know that it's going to happen because people will be deceived. Why will they be deceived? Because the scripture, Paul himself makes very clear, there is a God of this world who has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. And it's specifically so they will not understand the gospel, so they will not be saved, and so they will not understand what God has said and what God's will is. I see with our time that uh, we're going to have to continue this this evening, but we go to our authority of the scriptures because of the reasons that we've uh, laid out here this morning, but there needs to be an awareness, like Timothy, on our part of what our authority is the doctrinal content, the behavior of those who present it to us, uh, the goal of uh, those whom we are observing, um, uh, that it is for God, not for themselves, the character and attitudes that they display, but also the reality of the hardships and possibly the sufferings, and awareness of the reality check that persecution is to be expected and paying heed to the warning that there are those who will deceive and are themselves deceived. Are we paying attention to these these things? Now tonight, we're going to look at Timothy's experience in the next couple of verses and go on to consider the the resource that God has provided for the believer in such times as these and a response that the servant, as we all are, the servant of the Lord needs to make based on what the Apostle Paul uh, says. So uh, in the will of the Lord, we'll do that tonight. But let's close our time with prayer. Our gracious God, we give thanks for the Apostle Paul, a vessel that was uh, so well uh, used for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being extended uh, not only to Uh, to Jewish people, but also to Gentiles, amongst whom uh, most of us uh, consider ourselves this morning, how grateful we are for uh, his uh, faithfulness, his life, uh, and his uh, writings, uh, that they have been uh, used by uh, a holy yet gracious God to provide for us an authority that is sufficient for all that pertains to life, our lives, and godliness in this world. We give thanks for the scriptures, and we pray that as 
we have considered the, uh, the challenge of difficult times this morning, that this evening we will be able to consider uh, aright the uh, provision, the resource that there is to meet the need of the time. And so we ask for help in this respect. And we pray for one another as we have uh, considered these things this morning that there would be a renewing of uh, the lives, our lives, our thoughts to uh, be uh, faithful just in the same way that uh, young Timothy as well as uh, his mentor, the Apostle Paul, was as we have seen them described in this passage here this morning. So help us, we pray, for the honor and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.